Hey everybody, welcome to episode 244 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a warm Austin, Texas, as you would expect this time of year. I am excited about my episode as I continue my series talking about the different phases of training. And I decided to go ahead and finish things out this week by talking about the taper phase. The peaking phase is another word for it. Stole that one from Greg McMillan. That puts a better framing on this final phase of work, those final few weeks as you freshen up for your target race. We're going to talk about what to do and accomplish and answer some of those big questions about the taper or peaking phase for our main topic today. Before we get there, a couple of quick things. First of all, there won't be an ad in midway this week, but I did want to remind you about my discount code with Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and use the code 20ROGUE, all caps, that's 20ROGUE for 20% off or free shipping on all of their grooming products. So check that out, take advantage. I know they will cut off that code at some point, so I would jump on it if you haven't already. Secondly, wanted to talk a little bit about the Olympics and talk about some of my highlights. It's been an exhausting last couple of weeks, I know, for everyone as we're up late watching and then up early watching and it seems like I'm not getting any sleep because I'm up at all hours trying to watch events in real time in Japan. And so it's been crazy and I'm tired, but I love it. I love every minute of it. I love the highs. I love the lows. And it's certainly been exciting for all events and especially on the track, which has been very, very fast. So I wanted to talk about four of my highlights from the game so far and their associated lessons. First, wanted to talk about the Simone Biles situation and her decision to drop out of the team event after completing the vault and then, of course, not continue into the individual all around. And we just saw her recently win bronze in the beam individual event, which was amazing to see. Much has been talked about on this topic, so I won't belabor the points that have already been covered. But I think the one thing that struck me about her decision to drop out is that there were a lot of people that talked about how they thought that she was quitting on her team by stepping out of the team competition when she did. And for me, as I watched it and also as I've seen her talk about it and digested it, I think it's actually quite the opposite where she she actually did make that decision for the team because she was in a position with with this situation mentally where she wasn't able to find her way in the air, which caused her to not be able to execute her moves the way she typically does. And these are some of the most dangerous moves in in the history of gymnastics, some moves that nobody else has ever done except for her. And so she'd lost her way in the air and wasn't confident in her ability to execute those moves without potentially compromising her public safety or her personal safety, but also as a part of that by not executing those moves, then she was also potentially hurting the team. So from my perspective, her stepping aside actually showed that she cared more about the team 
and she wanted the team to succeed and felt like her own performances might detract from that, but also that she believed in her team to carry that baton to their ultimate silver medal. And she could have gone and hit under the stands, but she didn't. She stayed out there. She cheered them on. She showed them that she had confidence in them. And then, of course, they stepped up and earned that silver with the greatest gymnast of all time cheering them on from the sidelines. And to me, that was just so powerful in so many ways. Obviously, there's the importance of her talking about the mental health side of things. But I think also, again, what hasn't maybe gotten the the attention it deserves is just the fact that that decision was also about the team and doing something for the team and not quitting on the team as some have tried to paint it. And so hats off to Simone for making that call, for protecting herself physically, mentally, but also for putting the team first. And then it was cool to see her come back around and get that medal on the beam later in the gymnastics events. So that was one of the highlights for me. And then if we turn to the track, I've got three to talk about. The first, which was actually the U.S.'s first medal in the track of the games, was actually from Valerie Ullman, where she won the gold in the discus. And it's just amazing if you go and watch the videos of her throwing the discus. She's like a she's like a ballerina out there. The way she navigates the turn, the twists and and spins in order to fling that distance, fling that discus, the distance, and it's just beautiful her technique and the way she's able to coordinate all of her body movements to make that thing go so far. But I actually wanted to highlight her. Instagram post after winning, which talks about the importance of positive self-talk. And I think this is a really cool message and takeaway for all of us. But her, her her post, I'll read it, starts with a quote. And so in quotes, it says, I am capable of winning. I deserve to win. I will win. With the words capable, deserve, and will all in all caps. She then goes on to say, shortly after the Olympic trials, I started battling uncertainty about the magnitude and expectations of the Olympic Games. After conveying this to my coach, Coach Cyan, he came up with a plan for me to say these affirmations to him every day until I competed in Tokyo. The first week of doing it, I felt so silly and unsure. The words felt awkward and I didn't believe them. I slowly started to believe them and speak with genuine conviction. I found myself thinking the phrases to myself randomly throughout the day, during my warm-up, brushing my teeth, walking my dog. Prior to entering the stadium for the Olympic final, we did this exercise one last time. With all the conviction in the world, I said, I am capable of winning, I deserve to win, and I will win. The mental piece of performing at the highest level is a fickle construct. Confident is built, but can be unreasonably fleeting. I feel so thankful for my relationship with Zebulon, which is her coach, and all of his belief in me and the power of channeling into something beautiful for the 2020 Olympic Games. This medal is just as much yours, coach. To me, that message is so powerful because it talks about the power of affirmations and positive self-talk and puts it in a very tangible way and tangible perspective from, from an Olympic gold medalist first Olympic gold medal in 
the discus since I believe 2008 for the US and so Valerie got it done and it's just really cool to see that those those affirmations that positive self-talk that she said out loud to her coach actually helped her believe in her ability to pull it off when it mattered and I think that's something that I've talked about before on this show and maybe you've heard that and sort of thought it was silly but I firmly believe that if you're going to program your mind to believe in the goals that you have then you have to start affirming that to yourself so set your intention come up with affirmations and say them to yourself to someone else post them on your mirror on your fridge put them on the dash of your car change your computer passwords to perhaps say the affirmation which is a tip I've gotten from coach James Dodds who's been on the show but that ability to reinforce those messages is so so critical for you to being able to believe it first of all and then go execute it second of all so powerful moment watching Valerie win her gold but also powerful to see her put the those affirmations to work to make it happen second highlight for me from the track would be the gold medal from a thing mo the 19 year old just turned pro athlete from texas a&m who absolutely ran away from the field and set an american record to win gold in the women's 800 and while her athletic prowess is really really impressive her ability to run from the front and stay out and stay there and not fade so impressive her form is beautiful she's like watching art in motion all of those things are inspiring her ability to just go and win at such a young age inspiring but the thing that I saw in it that I thought was cool that is a good reminder for all of us is the fact that she was having fun she was having fun she wasn't taking herself too seriously I think at the end after she won she made a joke to her family in this screen that they have for the athletes to see their family watching from home and she said something like why so serious <laughs> and just joking with them expecting more joviality and and to me that just showed that even that moment after the biggest moment of her life to this point she was able to make a joke it just shows you how much fun she was having and how loose she was and that was to me a big part of her ability to pull that off now part of that may be because she's young and doesn't know better part of that may be because certainly there were expectations for her but but perhaps the pressure was less because she's a quote only 19 and so she's able to maintain that fun and and light attitude but but also, I think that's probably just part of her makeup and part of what makes her great is the fact that she just loves to run, loves to compete, and is going to just go out there and have fun, which I think, again, was part of what got her to that point of being able to run loose, run relaxed, have fun, and, of course, winning a gold medal is also fun. But I think the fact that she was focused on the fun and, and being loose was a big part of it. So that was another thing that was just so cool to watch. Obviously, we'll be, I think, seeing a lot of a thing Mo over over the years as she's got many more good ones in front of her. So that was another favorite moment of mine. 
And then lastly, I just wanted to talk about the other side of the equation, looking at failure and the inspiration that can come from that. Today, I watched Emma Coburn ultimately get DQ disqualified in the women's steeple final after finishing around ninth or so to the finish line because she fell and, and stepped on the infield during the race. And Emma just didn't look like herself, especially through the latter part of that race. It was great to see Courtney Frerichs, the American, get silver after making that race, pressing the pace from about a mile out. But then Emma just didn't have it. After falling and stumbling earlier, she clearly just didn't have her mojo on the day. And you could particularly tell in those final few laps that her body just gave up or quit on her or she couldn't she couldn't push anymore for whatever reason whether that be because of the fall or because of something else and of course she ran all the way to the line and then very graciously congratulated Courtney and then from what I understand from the media went to the mix zone and mix zone and answered every question in the in the mix zone from the media but I know, I know, absolutely know with an athlete like that who's so so driven and focused on being the best, who wanted another Olympic medal after winning one already, that that she's gotta be devastated. You know? It's I think we can we can relate in a sense that all of us have who have trained for a half marathon or a marathon and then had something go wrong on the day that just didn't allow you to show your best. That's happened to all of us, you know, whether that be the weather or maybe you just didn't feel good or something happened in a race where you just didn't have that day that you had trained for. And then you feel like all of that work leading up to that moment was for naught. And take that feeling and then magnify it times an event that only happens every four or five years in this case. And of course, magnify it times 10,000 because it's the Olympic games, the very pinnacle of our sport. And so you're, you're trying to do all this work over five years, so many hours and so many miles run so much done outside of view of the fan. And then you put it all on the line for an eight minute race or nine minute race and it just doesn't go your way and you end up not being able to showcase that fitness that you so carefully built that must be devastating and then you're doing it on the world stage in front of millions watching from home and I I just can't imagine that feeling I know what it's like to have a race that I didn't that I didn't want or that didn't go the way I planned. I know that feeling and it must be that times a thousand or more in on the stage that she was on. And yet she, as Emma does graciously still finished didn't quit, even though she was well outside the top three, she graciously congratulated Courtney. And then of course, graciously answered every question in the mix zone, even though I'm sure she wanted to run and hide. And that's something to be inspired by. Showing your best, even in the face of failure, is something to be inspired by. Showing grace in the face of, face of failure, something to be inspired by. 
And we haven't seen it yet, but I know we'll see it in that Emma will bounce back and do something amazing, whether there be whether it be this year in the Diamond League meets that come up or next year in the World Championships. I can guarantee you that Emma Coburn will bounce back and bounce back strongly because that's the type of person and athlete she is. If you've if you're a fan of hers and if you've watched her, you know that that's true. And so to me, that story, even though it's not yet completed yet, is one to watch and be inspired by because we've all had those moments of failure. Most of ours happen on smaller stages with smaller goals on the line. But think about Emma when you have that moment where you didn't get what you want and think about how she handled it today and think about how she will handle it, how she will bounce back and show that she's more than what this result shows. And so that to me is something to also be inspired by how to handle and focus and move through failure. So there you go. Those are my highlights from the Olympic games so far. So many others I could talk about it probably for, for a whole episode. We'll talk about some more on next week's episode, but let's jump into my topic today. We're talking about the taper phase of training. So the last couple of weeks, again, to recap, we've talked about the aerobic strength phase where, where the focus uh, was on building endurance. Then we talked about the race specific phase where the focus was on really dialing into race pace as well as sharpening the speed to make race pace feel easier. Once all that work is done, then you have one to two weeks in the case of a half marathon and then two to three weeks in the case of a marathon where you'll want to what we call taper, but I like the word peaking, where we peak for the big day. And the primary purpose of this phase of work is to get the body fresh so that you can actually show the fitness that you've earned by all of that hard work. So that's your goal in the taper phase. But it is much easier said than done. This to me is one of the hardest phases of training mentally because in the prior phases, it's fairly straightforward and simple where you you do the work, you push, you press, and you gut out the meat of the training. And then we get to this place where you actually back off the intensity a little bit, back off the volume a little bit, and then suddenly the mind goes crazy. And you're going to think that everything is going wrong under the sun during this phase. Part of that's real in that when the body is actually preparing itself for the big day, it is working on itself, which makes you feel a certain way. So part of that is real physical feelings, but part of it is mental where you start to question everything you've done. You start to question your fitness, your ability to execute. You start to develop all the nerves and anxiety that you might carry into race day. And so it is so, so tough. There's a reason why we have a term for it, which is called taper madness. There's a reason why that term exists because taper madness is real. You will think you're completely losing it during this phase. And I will tell you as a, as someone who has tapered for 20 marathons, the taper madness never goes away. 
It's always there in some form. You do get better at managing it. And so this episode is partially about that, is equipping you with the tools to deal with taper madness. So we're going to start by talking about the physical elements, but we'll also get into the mental elements as we prepare you for your big day. Okay, so we're gonna, we'll structure this similarly to how we've structured the last two. First, we'll talk about the goals and guiding principles of this phase of work. Then we'll talk about the workouts, the physical side. Then we'll talk about the mental side. And then we'll wrap things up and put a bow on it. This is an episode that is probably early for you in your training cycle, but I did want to have it out there so you could start thinking about it and then you could save it and listen to it once you get closer to your actual taper phase as we approach those fall races. So let's dig in. All right, first of all, goals. What are the goals for the taper phase, for the peaking phase? First and foremost, above all else, your goal is to get the body fresh for race day. Get the body fresh for race day. And that means backing off of the work. We'll talk about how to back off from the work. Primarily, you're going to back off on volume. There's also going to be a little bit of intensity change, but we're backing off on the work so that we can not only consolidate the fitness that you have, but also so that obviously you can rest and recover and get the body primed to go when it matters. So that's goal number one is get the body fresh. The second goal is to sharpen the mind and prepare for execution on race day. So second goal, sharpen the mind and prepare for execution on race day. We talked a little bit about teeing up some of these concepts in the race specific phase. And really in that phase of work, it's all about setting, laying the groundwork, setting the table for this part of the equation. But obviously during this phase, it's time to dot your I's and cross your T's. It's time to get that mental toolkit fully put together, make sure all of the things you need are in it. And then obviously put together a race plan and execution plan for race day that is solid and that you have committed to your mind so that you can then go execute it. So that's goal number two for this phase of work. Goal number three, which I I alluded to a little bit earlier in terms of taper madness, is to manage taper madness as best you can. Manage taper madness as best you can because it's coming. There's no avoiding it, but we want to make sure that you manage it in a way that doesn't derail all the work that you've done because believe me, you can't get faster or fitter typically in the taper. That's not the goal, but you can screw it up. And we'll talk about in a minute some ways you can screw it up, but we don't want you to screw it up. So third goal is to manage the taper madness in the best way that you can so that it doesn't derail all of the hard work that you've done. So first goal, get the body fresh. Second goal, sharpen the mind and have your plan for execution on race day. Third goal, manage the best you can taper madness so it doesn't derail all of your hard work so far. Okay, 
So that's what we're trying to accomplish. Now, remember, when we talk about goals with with these phases, it also implies certain things that aren't on the list, certain things that aren't on the list. So, for example, we're not trying to get fitter in the taper or peaking phase. We're not trying to get fitter. The hay is in the barn, as they say, once you get to this phase of work. You cannot get fitter or try to get fitter in this phase of work. Your goal is to say, hey, I've done my work. Now it's time to simply let that work work for me. Allow the body to incorporate and consolidate all of that work into real fitness that counts so that you can then show it on race day. So that's an explicit part of this equation that your taper phase is not about continuing to build fitness. You have to let that go. It takes, by the way, at least 10 days for a workout to benefit you physically. So for a workout to build into your fitness bank, so to speak, it takes about 10 days. So anything that happens within the final 10 days prior to race day isn't actually affecting your fitness for race day at all. Now, technically, you could do something at 10 days or two weeks or two and a half weeks that would still theoretically benefit you from a fitness perspective. And for those that might only have a two-week taper, that might be something that you think about. But for the most part, everything that we're doing within the taper phase, whether you have a two or three-week taper, isn't going to be about building fitness. It's going to be more about dialing in, getting fresh and sharp. So that's an important note to this equation is you have to, once you get to this phase, let go of the idea that you're going to continue to build fitness. It's more about being able to show the fitness based on the work that you've done that it is about building fitness further once you get here. So that's an important note on the goals that are not on the list. Okay, guiding principles guiding principles. Let's talk about these really quickly. One, one guiding principle. Don't do anything new in the taper phase. What you do in the taper phase should only be things that are already built into your routine. From a running perspective, you'll do a little bit less of it, which will detail later in the episode. But outside of that, we also don't want to start a new strength program, change our diet, start doing a lawn pro- an outdoor lawn and landscaping project at your house that burns a lot of energy. Start doing yoga, try new shoes, whatever it is, the only things you should be doing in this taper phase and this peaking phase are things that you already know or that you're already familiar with in some way and that support those three goals that we just talked about. If it doesn't support those three goals and if you haven't done it to this point, check it off the list, try it again later, put that on the list for your next training cycle. Do not, I repeat, do not to anything new or different in this phase of work. 
Again, the hay is in the barn. You've done the work. But more than anything, you want to give your your body the ability to get fresh and get recovered, and it can't do that if it's suddenly experiencing something new. So that's guiding principle number one. Don't do anything new. Guiding principle number two is maintain your routine as much as possible. So number one, don't do anything new. Number two, keep doing the things you're used to that you're familiar with. I think this is most important as it relates to your workout routine. So I'm a big proponent, even if you're reducing volume, of still running all the days you normally run. Don't cut days out. Your body is used to that rhythm. We'll talk in a second about how to reduce your volume, but cutting days is not a part of that unless for some reason you're managing an injury and that's a part of the equation. But don't do anything new and don't change your routine. Keep the days you normally run and I'm even okay with you keeping the days that you normally do strength if you change the work during this phase. And in the strength category, we would be significantly reducing weight, potentially doing things that are more focused on body weight and mobility just to maintain rhythm and keep the body loose. But you don't, again, want to change your routine. So don't do anything new. Don't change your routine. Third principle or third guiding principle for this phase within the context of your routine is when in doubt, do less. When in doubt, do less. Again, you can't build fitness in this phase, or at least that shouldn't be the focus. So it's all about getting fresh, feeling recovered. And I want you to keep that routine. But if you're on the fence about a decision on intensity or volume, I would generally err on the conservative side of the equation. Again, we're trying to get fresh. We're trying to get recovered. You're going to do plenty of work. And again, we'll talk about what that means from a volume and from a workout perspective during this phase of work. But when in doubt, less is more in the taper or peaking phase. So those are your three guiding principles. Don't do anything new. Keep your routine. And when in doubt, back off or choose the more conservative path because again the first goal going back to that is to get fresh get recovered make sure your body can demonstrate the fitness of all the work that you've done so those are your goals those are your guiding principles now let's talk about workouts and volume then we'll talk about the mental side of the equation last the first question to answer here really is how long should the taper be How long should the taper be? This is a tricky question because it's going to vary to the individual. In general, I recommend two to three week tapers for marathoners, one to two week for half marathoners, and then typically for a five or 10K, just a one week taper. So that means that for that week or two or three, you're cutting back volume while keeping your routine and still doing workouts. But 
you have to decide for yourself. If in doubt, especially if you're a newer runner to the distances, then I would choose the longer end of the range as a starting point. So three weeks for a marathon, two weeks for a half, again, one week for a 5K or 10K. If you're an experienced marathoner, half marathoner, then I think this is something you should try in varying ways and see what feels better to you. Personally, I've tried a two-week taper. I've tried a three-week taper. For me, it works better to do a two-week taper for the marathon, and typically I will do a one-week taper for the half. That is typically what works better for me because I've experimented with both and decided what's what's more ideal based on how I felt going into those respective races. And so I would encourage you to play with that. Play with varying tapers to see what's better for you, but also trust your get trust your gut, excuse me. You know what's what generally works for you and and if you're trying to make this this decision, just think about does your body do better on a little more recovery or does it do better on less? Think about that and then make a decision and then go with your gut. And then of course, try it a different way the next time and see how it goes. Again, I've had 20 marathons. I've tried it different ways a few different times and I've now gravitated towards a two-week taper for the marathon for me. But that may not be right for everyone. So experiment with it. But if you're not sure, generally err on the longer side initially or trust your gut. So that's the first question. How long should the taper be? Second question, how do you manage your volume during the taper? And you'll hear people talk about percentages on this. I find that approach really confusing because, you know, if somebody says, well, you're going to do 80% the first week, 60% the second week, 40% the third week, which all sounds fairly intuitive to figure out, but then you start getting into the nuances and details of it. And then you say, well, does that... 80% of every run or just 80% or more of some and less of others. And then what happens race week? Do you count the race itself and the percentages? And so it gets very confusing very quickly if you're going the percentage route. So what I like to say is regardless of the length of your taper is to keep all the days you normally run, keep all the days you normally run, except for maybe that final week end, depending on the timing of your race, which I'll also talk about. But keep all the days you normally run and cut back one mile per run per week of the taper. So if you have a three-week taper, that first week of the taper, you'll cut back one mile per run for the entire week. In the second week of the taper, two miles per run for the entire week. And then the third week of the taper, three miles per run through the entire week with the caveat that I want a minimum of a three mile run. So if you had a five mile run that went to four and then goes to three, keep it at three. So cut back one mile per run per week. And if your taper is shorter, same rules apply. One mile per run per week. You won't end up with as dramatic of a cut, but that's okay. That to me is part of the equation when you do a shorter taper. So one mile per run per week, keeping your routine with a minimum of three miles. 
and let the miles and the percentages play out where they may. When it comes to race weekend, your routine may get thrown off a little bit because oftentimes you may do long runs on Saturdays, but then your race is Sunday. And so how do you navigate all of that? There's really only a couple of rules that I think about when planning those final few days. First of all, I like to have a shakeout run the day before your race. Could be 20 minutes, could be 30 minutes, could be three miles, could be four miles, could be five miles. Whatever you think you need, give yourself just a little dose of movement the day before your race. Super, super easy. Very, very basic, relaxed, not hard at all, but get the blood moving so that you can keep the body sharp for race day. That's the day before. Two days before, I like to take an off day, but that will also depend on your routine. So if you typically run two days before or that fits into your routine the way you normally structure it, then that's okay too. Do a short run two days before as well, but I'm okay either way. Two days out. Could be a run, could be an off day. Depends on how you typically structure your routine. With the only other rule and caveat being that if you're flying or driving distance to go to your race, I like to try to make sure that you get in at least one run, potentially two runs after you land in your location. The reason being that when we sit on a plane for a long time or we drive in a car for a long time, that tends to tighten our muscles up and limit blood flow. And so you want to then undo that, get the muscles moving again and promote blood flow again, which the best way to do that is to go for for an easy run. So if in doubt, when you're trying to decide, well, should I run before my flight or after my flight on a given day, then I like to choose to do it after the run, assuming you have enough time at the end of the day to do that, depending on your flight time so that you can get that extra shakeout run of that sort of travel stagnation that might build up. So just again, a couple of rules around that final weekend. One, do run the day before, something short and easy. And two, try to make sure that you're getting at least one, but perhaps two if you can, shakeout runs post-flight to work out that junk from sitting on the plane or in a car for a long time. So those are your questions about volume and how to structure your taper weeks. The next question is workouts. And again, everybody's always really finicky about what these workouts look like. But again, it's important to remember that the fitness is there. The hay is in the barn. It's more about sharpening and getting recovered and ready for race day than it is about building fitness at this point. So typically we will do a couple of types of workouts during this phase. One will be race pace workouts where you're doing race pace intervals to help again, dial into race pace for your target race. The second would be some speed work. We like to focus on the 10 K paces for our speed work during this phase to help prime for the half or for the full so that you can really stay sharp and make sure that race pace feels comfortable by operating at 10K pace, but but typically not faster than that. 
So race pace workouts, 10K pace workouts. And then for that last week, so usually at least one of those in the taper, depending on the length of your taper. And during that last week, to me, it's really important to choose a workout that's going to mentally put you in a good position. I've got a few different ones that I like to pull from, but I commonly see people doing longer race pace intervals during race week. So one mile or two miles or maybe even three miles at marathon pace during race week. I can tell you, I don't like that. I don't like that. If I do race pace during race week, it'll be shorter fartlek style where you might do only three or four or five minutes at race pace. But more than that, I prefer to do just a shorter sharpening style workout. So my favorite would be 10 times 400 with 60 to 90 seconds rest between each with the first four at half marathon pace or effort, the second four at 10K pace or effort, and the last two a little bit faster than that if you feel like it. It's a short, sweet, sharpening workout with plenty of rest. Because remember, in that last week, you can't build fitness, so it's really not about anything specific. You can only screw it up by overdoing it. And you also have to remember that the body is going to feel funky during that week. It never, ever feels good to me in that final workout. My, my legs will not feel great or sharp and it'll feel too hard to run race pace and that'll start playing with my mind. So the reason I don't like race pace week at workouts during that final week is because typically race pace doesn't feel good that final week for a variety of reasons. And then it starts to play tricks on you, even though it means nothing, it starts to play tricks on you and make you makes you doubt what you're capable of. So personally, I tend to avoid it altogether or simply do shorter fartlek style intervals at race pace so that you're able to get into it a little bit, but not get into it so long that you start to question your, your reality on this planet. So those are the workouts that I like to typically work into a taper or peaking phase, some race pace work, some 10K pace work, and then a 400 meter easy 400 workout or a fartlek style workout in race week for that final bit of sharpening. So that's the physical side of the equation. Let's talk about the mental side. First, on the mental side, we have to acknowledge the demons that you will face inside taper madness because they are real. And again, you're not going to avoid them regardless of how many of these things you do. You'll in some way face these demons every single time. And, And it's real. You're going to question your fitness. You're going to question... Your weight, you're going to feel like you're gaining weight. You're going to question your diet. You're going to question your race plan. You're going to have all the anxiety and nerves that you might feel leading up into race day. And and it's going to be bundled into perhaps challenges with sleep at night. So all of those doubts that you could possibly imagine will creep in during this time. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but there's really two strategies for dealing 
with taper madness one strategy is what i call the associative strategies where you're basically associating with the task at hand in order to distract your mind from those demons from those doubts and that means acknowledging those feelings and those thoughts but then redirecting that energy into work that can be done to prepare for your race so that could be studying the course refining your race plan thinking about your mantras visualizing each part of the race in your mind's eye planning your dinner the night before your breakfast the morning of making sure you have all your flight details lined up it's taking that nervous energy and channeling it into the work that can be done to prepare you for that day. I will save the race course as the wallpaper on my computer desktop so that then when I'm daydreaming or struggling with some doubts, I can look at that and literally memorize the course profile or the turns as a part of my preparation so that Every bit of that course, I know whether I've been there for real or not. So that's one set of strategies, the associative strategies. Then, of course, there's dissociative strategies, which is the idea of dissociating from those thoughts and feelings, which can be equally important sometimes or maybe more effective. And I find that I will use a couple of strategies from both sides of the equation but some people prefer one to the other. But what do you do when you dissociate? You try to distract yourself. Find other ways you can focus or have fun so that you don't think about those demons. And that's watching a movie. That's binging something on Netflix. That's reading a book. That's doing anything that will take your mind off of it so that you're not focused on it, so that you're not bathing yourself in that anxiety and nervous energy. So that's the first part here is dealing with those demons. Acknowledge them. Talk about them. Tell your friends about them if they're willing to listen or your partners. And then go to work on one of those strategies, whether that be associating with the planning or dissociating with those thoughts and feelings by distracting yourself or maybe a mixture of both in order to appropriately set those demons aside, flick them off your shoulder, if you will. So that's the first point to make here. But again, those thoughts are going to come. They're going to be there every time in some form. What you struggle with from race to race might look a little bit different, but then just simply think, instead of thinking this thought, what can I do right now to be productive towards my race plan? Or what can I do right now to distract myself from this thought so I don't let it spiral and take hold of me? So that's the first thing to discuss and acknowledge here is that you have to actively work through that taper madness so that it doesn't take hold of you and start to spiral into other things. Now, the second or another part of the equation here is preparing your mental toolkit. Preparing your mental toolkit. Talked about this before. This is you thinking about 
what are the strategies you're going to use during the race to help you stay focused, to help you stay relaxed, to help you deal with the doubts and pains when they come in race day? And this can come in a lot of forms. I've done podcast episodes on them. I've talked about it last time where I like to develop mantras, rhythm mantras, as well as fight mantras so that you can put those to work during the race. And also I do other things like counting. I think about going fishing. You know, I've accumulated these tools that I use to stay focused when the pain comes, when I'm struggling. And I want you to think about accumulating the same. Accumulate your mantras, accumulate your tools, pull them in, acknowledge that you have them in your toolkit, visualize using them so that you are ready to put those things to work. Again, this this is where we start to get a little cheesy and woo-woo, but I promise you this stuff works. So make sure you have your toolkit ready, your mental toolkit ready. Also, go to work visualizing using those things. We've talked about visualization and the power of visualization, but this is a time when personally I like to at least once sit down and doesn't necessarily have to take forever, but spend 15, 20 minutes visualizing the race start to finish in little snippets, little snapshots. The start line, the first few miles, mile five, mile 10, 15, 20, 23. How is it going to feel at those key points of the race all the way through to the finish line? Fast forward that through your brain because it's an opportunity to run the race mentally before you do it physically so that you're more prepared for what you're going to face. So do the visualization. And then the last thing I'll talk about here is make sure you have a solid race plan. That includes all the pieces of it. What are you doing pre-race? Night before meal, morning of meal. When are you waking up? How are you getting to the start line? What is your plan at the start line? Are you doing gear check? Are you not doing gear check? Do you know the corral situation? Do you have a visualization of that start configuration so that you can get to where you need to be? Do you know what time you have to be there in order to make sure you're not fighting the crowds or having to climb a fence to get in at, at, at a time that's too late? And then once you start, What's your first mile going to be? Pace per mile. What's your second mile going to be? Third mile. How do you structure that from there? I've talked about race plans on this show before. You can go find those episodes. But sometimes you got to break the course down into different chunks depending on the terrain, depending on what you might face out there, depending on the hills, etc. And so think about your race plan start to finish. Make sure you have that dialed in mile by mile so that you can build it up to getting to your target time in a way that makes sense, that fits the course. And as a reminder there, it's about banking energy, not time early on. So if you start conservatively and finish strong, that is going to be your best, most efficient path to your goal or to a PR. And I highly recommend you going back to listen to my episodes on race planning, but make sure you have that dialed in. And then as a part of that, 
You can write down your mental tools that you're going to use at various points. And then it all sums up together to getting your goal time on your goal race. And encapsulates all the pieces of that. What you're trying to do here is control what you can control. Control the variables that are in your power so that you can limit the impact of the variables that are outside your control. Those will be there though. Look, we all know what could happen when the weather is too hot or something goes wrong that's out of our control. We all know that's a potential possibility. So all you can do is focus on the details that you can control so that you can minimize the impact of those elements out of your control. Doesn't mean you can take that impact to zero of the uncontrollables, but if you control everything you can, then at least you know you've done everything in your power to get your goal on race day. It may still go wrong. That can happen just like it happened to Emma Coburn but I want to make sure that you walk in there or get to that start line with zero doubts, knowing that you've done everything you can do to give yourself the best chance. And we can't guarantee the outcomes. We can't know if we're going to accomplish it, but we can at least put ourselves in the best position to accomplish it. Get to the start line in the best position and then execute each mile, putting yourself in the best position for the next mile. That's all you can do. And then the outcome will take care of itself. So that's the final piece. Making sure you have your race plan dialed in and that you are ready to execute it by visualizing all of those pieces. There you go. I will wrap this episode here. Again, the taper phase is all about getting fresh physically and then mentally sharp for your race day. It is simple, but not easy to execute a taper or peaking phase well. But hopefully this episode will help you get there. Listen this time, save that for September or October when you actually enter your taper phase and then go back and listen. But I'll be excited to help you prepare for those races coming up here. Fingers crossed in the fall. All right, we'll wrap this episode here again. You can use my code 20ROGUE at manscaped.com for their grooming products. You can also check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next episode, we'll talk to you soon.